Good morning. I'm Wimala, and today is April the 1st. Uh, I, I just wonder on April the 1st, how many people are thinking of uh, April Fool's Day jokes they're going to play on people? How many of those are cruel and how many are just fun? So, uh, I hope yours are fun, not cruel. <laughs> I'm leaving today to, to help out at a mindfulness and prayer uh, three-day conference, more of a, conf a small conference with about 35 people. And uh, I've been aware while I've been packing and getting ready to go that mindfulness needs to start, you know, we need to be doing it all the time. So it's uh, these days since I'm no longer... Uh, bikuni, uh, what I wear is a totally different, it's a totally different situation. So I've been trying to pack meaning uh, with, with uh, mindfulness and it's hard with a, with a limited and very different uh, wardrobe now. Instead of being able to wear robes, I have to think about, well, what am I going to wear? What kind of, I've got to wear street clothes, right? And how am I how am I supposed to dress for this particular this particular uh, workshop? So that's already started. So I'm thinking about how mindfully uh, can I get things together in a very small little suitcase to take for three days and be be content and be uh, satisfied and dress appropriately. <laughs> And with our weather, it adds another layer because now today it's sunny and bright, but we have snow on the ground and we had snow probably most of the night. Most of it's on the roofs instead of on the grass. But the temp with the temperature changing, we, you have to be every, you know, it may be uh, too cold to go for a walk by Lake Michigan or it might be just perfect. And if I'm bundled up enough, it might work out okay. So there are all these kind of iffy propositions, even even because of the weather, uh, which hap this happens all the time, whether you're a monastic or not. But I have to be mindful in my preparations and mindful in getting getting to this event. So that's a big part of the practice. So we can all um, remember that mindfulness isn't something we just turn on or off. Mindfulness, paying attention, being aware, being attentive, and uh, doing that all the time is, is the best practice we can have in our lives, to be noticing. So, with that said... And a reminder that I won't be here Sunday because I'll be uh, busy Sunday morning at the retreat when I'm, I'll be leading a meditation and then I'm helping out with the core. I'm helping the coordinator kind of checking on the group and doing things, doing some small meditations and prayers with the group at different other different times. So I won't see you Sunday, but today we can go ahead and we are really uh, we're really close to reading this entire book. And it started out, I wanted to just read from it, but it's 
uh, hopefully it's been it's been a, a good reading for all of you too. So the very last thing on the chapter we just finished, we finished chapter 12. The very last sentence, and remember we are reading about clinging. Everything we cling to becomes dukkha. That can be what we think of as our most valuable, important roles in this life. And I know as a mother, many of you are mothers, or you have people in your lives that you love as family and are they're the relationship is one of family. Those roles can all become suffering depending on how we approach them, depending on whether we're clinging uh, or whether we're, we're being aware of our, uh, that we're really, you know, that we need to step back and be uh, not hanging on to that, not clinging to that identity. So the last thing he says, uh, and I'll read this before we go in chapter 13, yet these practices still fall under the category of ordinary times, especially in the sense that all practice comes down to being void of attachment. All practice. If we still cling to the meditator, it isn't really meditation yet. In proper meditation, however, the mind isn't disturbed by sense objects. So don't let yourself be born as a meditator. Instead, see the voidness of meditation. So we have to wrap our heads around that. When we sit, we don't think, oh, now, now I'm a meditator, right? We have to, we just sit. Nothing to attach to. So now this is our, our uh, challenging chapter, I think, because it's challenging for all of us. Chapter 13 is called Practicing at the Moment of Contact, because that's where it all begins, right? And the moment of death. We've discussed the first occasion for practice, the we've discussed the first occasion for practice, the ordinary times. The second occasion for practice is the moment when sense objects make contact, when visible forms, sounds, odors, flavors, and tangible objects contact the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body. We must practice letting contact, or fasa, stop at contact, letting vedana, feeling, that's the feeling tone, Stop at Vedana, and so on. Letting contact stop just at contact is the most excellent level of practice. And I think he's made that point really, he's uh, really explained that well in this book. On a more, because that when we make contact, that's when that craving begins and the clinging begins. On a more ordinary level, contact develops into, into feeling, and that's the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. On an or, on an order, more ordinary level, contact develops into Vedana, but we stop it right there without allowing any further development into craving and grasping. 
at I and mine. We consider this method earlier when we discuss the contemplation of dependent co-origination. Some of the preachers and teachers in monastery halls and Buddhist colleges say that stopping right at contact, fasa, is impossible, that vedana, the feeling, always develops. Such people cling to their books, to the literal meaning of words, or to certain examples rather than the truth. In fact, the Buddha taught that when seeing forms, just see. When smelling odors, just smell. When tasting flavors, just taste. And when touching tangible objects, just touch. If you can do it, then there is no you. The ego is not born. This is the end of dukkha. This is continuous voidness. Just observe your own reactions at the times when you glance in the direction of some neutral form. Try casting your eyes on the door or a window, and you'll notice that there is merely contact. There are no feelings of satisfaction or dissatisfaction. When visible forms, sounds, odors, flavors, and tangible objects enter as contact, let them stop right there without any satisfaction or dissatisfaction occurring. Be like the soldier asleep next to a large cannon. When a shell is fired, he merely registers the sound without feeling anything and just goes on sleeping happily. No matter how heavy the shelling, he is not startled or disturbed. There is just the sound of the cannon contacting his ear and then ceasing. When you hear the sound of a man, of a woman, or of a lover, can you let contact stop at contact in that same way? If you can, then you're, all re- then you're really adept. Here, animals may be more accomplished than people because they lack all the excess mental baggage we carry. If we wish to reach that peak of excellence, we must train ourselves to let fasa remain as merely fasa. If you can't do it and concede defeat, you can still stop at vedana or feeling. So, the contact, that's the best place to stop. But if we can't do that yet, we can still stop at that feeling. We can feel the pleasant or uh, unpleasant. But as soon as there is a feeling of comfort or discomfort, of satisfaction or dissatisfaction, then quench it right there without giving birth to the various kinds of desire that spring from the urges of defilement, craving, and attachment. This is how to practice on the occasion on the occasion of contact with sense objects. Okay, I'll read one short section and then we'll stop and uh, sit together. The last chance. The third occasion for practice is the moment when the mind quenches. The body will break up and die. How can we practice sunyata 
or sunyata at that time. In this situation, we must depend on having taken remainderless quenching as our basic principle throughout life. The natural death of the aged is sometimes definite and sure. When someone reaches old age, it's said that they have little time left. What can be achieved in that short remaining time? To avoid running out of time, those who are old and unlearned, who don't have the time to study very much and whose brains aren't as good as they once were, can hold to the principle of the remainderless quenching of the eye, which we have been discussing. So, this is when we are when we have little time and and uh, when we our brains are <laughs> when we don't have the ones who don't have the time to study very much and whose brains aren't as good as they once were. Hold on to the principle of the remainderless quenching of the eye. Regularly contemplate that being a person is no fun. Being a dewa or a celestial being is no fun. Being a father is not pleasant. Being a mother is not pleasant. Being a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, a servant, a master, a victor, a loser, a good person, a bad person, a fortunate person or an unfortunate person is unpleasant. None of them are pleasant. None of them are any fun. Then the mind will hold no hope of having or being anything at all. One could say, all hope has been given up. This phrase, given up hope, may also be used in regard to the attainment of arahantship or being becoming enlightened. But it doesn't mean the resignation of the foolish and lazy. It's a different matter altogether. It is the hopelessness of one who has true wisdom, who sees that there is nothing in this or any world that one should wish to have or be. Truly nothing is worth having or being at any time or in any place. That's this is the critical point, right? It's not just to say, oh, everything is everything is suffering. No, because all of these things, it's their it's the clinging to them that creates the suffering. So this is very important paragraph. The hopelessness is the hopelessness of one who has true wisdom, who sees that there is nothing in this or any world that one should wish or have, to, uh, that anyone should wish to have or be. Truly, nothing is worth having or being at any time or in any place. What path will be taken by the mind of the hopeless person? It won't take any path at all because it sees that nothing anywhere is worth wishing for. Thus, this mind tends towards its own dissolution. There being no desire to have or be anything, it dissolves into sunyata. So it dissolves into that voidness, that spaciousness, that emptiness. 
This is a skillful means to cheat nature a little. When the time has really come for the mind to cease, revive the feeling that nothing anywhere is worth having or being. If that feeling is present in the mind, at the moment it ceases, it will reach Nibbana inevitably. So it reaches that awakening. Have the body and mind cease with the feeling that nothing worth having or being, then it will realize Nibbana in that physical death itself. What a deal, making such a tiny investment, yet certain of the best results. So it's just that letting go of all the things that we've uh, been taught and learned to, to uh, want to grab onto and hang onto. It's just the letting go of those things. Let the greatest scholars of the land come to test what it's like for the mind to meet death with the authentic feeling that nothing anywhere is worth having or being. It will be the kind of disillusion that dissolves by Nibbana Dattu, the coolness element. It will be Nibbana Dattu in itself. So it's that cooling. Anyone, no matter how unlearned and inarticulate, who experiences just this single thing will find it sufficient. When the time of death has truly come, let this feeling be present. You should remember that when close to death, the mind will gradually slip away. As the body runs down near its end, awareness will gradually disappear. You will forget more and more until you forget everything. You won't know what time it is, whether it's day or night. You won't be able to tell where you are or whose house you're in. You won't even be able to remember your name. But the awareness that nothing is worth having or being can stay on as the mind's companion to the very end. Volunteer for the remainderless quenching? Keep that feeling of volunteering for remainderless quenching. So, that's what we're, we've signed up to do, right? Volunteer for the remainderless quenching. Keep that feeling of volunteering for remainderless quenching, that nothing's left over, right? Everything is totally done, including the readiness to accept it as the mind's partner until the very end. With this skillful means, the mind will be able to dissolve itself into the sunyata, which is Nibbana. This is how people of little knowledge must practice at the moment of physical death. With this trick, an unlearned grandma or granddad can quench perfectly. We call it the trick of turning a fall from a ladder into a calculated leap. Now, what we'll read on Tuesday is about just a very sh uh, two more sections on the art of leaping and being ready for death. And you know, we we know that we if we're with someone dying, we will often say to them, it's okay to go. You know, we're okay. 
you can go, it's okay to go now. It's kind of giving them permission if they feel, if they feel kind of bound to us by uh, responsibility or obligation, like a mother not wanting to leave a child. And we, we know that quality of being able to tell someone, it's okay to go. You know, go, go, go with peace. We're okay. And uh, that's what that's what he's talking about. We need to be ready to know that it's okay to go. That there's nothing to do. There's nothing that we need. So I think it's, this is beautiful. I hope it's uh, beautiful to all of you. Let's have a, a short meditation together. And just let these thoughts be there for you. It may be something it's hard to even imagine, like how could I do that? How could I be ready? How could I let go? Uh, but that's just something you can. That's something you can grapple with. I think he's giving us. Uh, he's giving us some incredible information here, and it may be that it takes quite a while for us to digest it, and to even agree with it. But I think. That letting go can feel, I think it can, it could feel really wonderful. We don't let go of life until it's time to let go. But I think the things that we can let go of, uh, can make as we move along in life. And I think he's going to talk more about that. You know, letting go as we go along. And we're just letting go from the identity with the things. We don't have to be, uh, we don't have to be so caught up in everything that we attach to. I mean, we can stop attaching, stop clinging. Um, yeah, this is be- beautiful. The way he writes is beautiful. So why don't we sit and just just be with the breath. Just let your body relax. Close your eyes if, if you can. It's okay to keep them open as well. You just want to have your glaze focus down so your vision isn't distracting you. And out of my side vision, you know, I can see a squirrel coming up to the door to watch. So that's distracting. So better for me to close my eyes. And... You can be in any posture. You can be walking. Just be aware if your eyes are closed, don't be walking. But just be aware that your spine is uplifted in whatever posture. That helps keep us awake and more attentive. It also helps our natural breathing become just deeper in our natural breath. We can feel that breath in our belly rising and contracting. Or we can feel it around our nostrils. And just pick a spot and be aware of your breath. Be aware of the breath. The body's breathing.
and we can practice Mindfulness is just this, the being aware of sound as sound. That's why we don't hear the sound and we try to just hear it as sound, not something to take pleasure in or to take uh, dissatisfaction with. We've talked a lot about that. Just hear the sound and recognize sound Recognize taste. Smell. The sense of contact, the air on your skin. Just be aware, be mindful of these things, be aware of them but no need to form a reaction. That reaction of pleasant or unpleasant or neutral can be just, "Mm, I don't know, I don't know how I feel. I don't know the feeling. until it becomes truly neutral. That's where the craving can begin. Or the aversion can begin. And from those becomes the clinging. This is the point where we let go of judgment and opinions and views. Now just be with your breath.
Always come back to the breath. If your mind becomes distracted and you're chasing after your stories, be aware of it and just drop it and come back to your breath. Let go of the stories. Let go of chasing. Just come back to the breath. Being with our breath lets us turn our attention inward, take care of ourselves. May all of us be well and feel safe and be content and live in peace within and without. And may people on this earth find a way to understand the world enough to let go of fighting and war and discord, find wisdom to work together, find peace, and may that peace And that loving kindness spread throughout the universe, spread throughout all the layers of this world, all creatures, all beings, human and non-human. May we have peace and may that peace begin with each one of us. May peace begin with me. So may everything we do today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all sentient beings, all beings everywhere. So have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thanks for being part of my practice. And remember, I'll see you next on Tuesday. I won't be here Sunday. Bye-bye.